0: Well, before uh, reading and preaching God's Word, we have a prayer for illumination. Um, In the book of Common Prayer of the Reformed Episcopal Church, illumination is prayed for as follows. Blessed Lord, who has caused all, all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read Mark, learn and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of the whole of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When doctor Bruce Walkie prays for illumination, he begins by saying Father, give us the grace to remove our shoes as we step onto most holy ground. You'll recognize the allusion to Exodus 3.5 and Moses at the burning bush. When God says to Moses to remove his sandals because the ground on which he stands is holy. You should also catch the idea that is repeated in Joshua 5.13-15 to 15 when Joshua sees the, uh, the uh, man opposite him uh, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua, when he says to him, Are you for us or our adversaries? And he said, Neither. I, have, I indeed come now as captain of the hosts of the Lord. So Joshua then falls on his face of the earth and bowed down. And he said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord has hosts said to Joshua, <laughs> Remove your sandals. Yeah. For the place where you are standing is holy. Yeah. All right. I think that's a kind of a nice analogy that Dr. Waukee brings to his prayer to ask God to give us the grace to remove our remove our shoes. When we come to God's word we are on holy ground. And removing our footwear is a metaphor meaning to have respect for what God has to say to us. We do something similar when we stand for the reading of God's holy and word. We hear the word read for what it is. It is God's word written and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction and training in righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You might wonder why this is so important and why I emphasize it so much. I do so because ideas have consequences. And all you have to do is look around you today to see how ideas have consequences. Um, The groups, uh, Antifa and BLM, they uh, have websites you can go to. They're anarchist websites. And they're blasting their ideas over the internet. And people are listening to them. Ideas have consequences. Ideas control the world in which we live. Ideas promote political views. They promote medical views. And they promote religious views. They're idols of our nation. And you know what's David says about idols of our nation. He says in Psalm 135, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. We might put in there, the idols of the nations are the ideas that are the work of human hands, human minds. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any health or breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them. You become like what you listen to, like what you worship. Amen. Well, this morning my purpose is that you learn, mark, and digest Psalm 1. Now, I know you're not, we're not going to be able to do all of that in a sermon. It takes something that requires the rest of our lives, but we want to at least catch, catch, a, catch an idea, catch, catch the thought. Before we look at that, let's, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we do give you thanks for your love and your goodness to us. And uh, we do ask for the grace to remove our shoes. It doesn't mean we literally remove our shoes, um, but it it does mean that we understand who we are and who you are. Uh, So often we don't do that in this in this day and age. God is my co pilot. God is my buddy. But all those gods that we see in bumper stickers are not the God of the Bible. For you are holy and just and good. You are a God of love and you are a God of wrath. You are a God that we must respect and honor, that we must glorify and worship. And we ask that you would help us to do that while we're thinking through Psalm 1, to the extent that we can, we pray that you would um, implant these thoughts from Psalm 1 into our hearts, and to the extent that we can, that we would live each day in light of them. We ask you this in Christ's name, Amen. 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 Well, the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is to learn. I want you to learn about Psalm 1. Okay. We want to learn how Psalm 1 means. We always ask what something means, and we need to do that. But in literature, we need to ask first how, how the psalm means. And um, So the first detail to note is that Psalm 1 is the gateway to the Psalter. You must tuck Psalm 1 away in your heart if you are to learn the Psalms. Dr. Bruce Walkie, a well-known and well-respected teacher of Hebrew, one of my favorite teachers, states that Psalm 1 is the wicket gate to the Psalter. You'll recognize the image. The wicket gate is an image from Pilgrim's Progress. Vincent van Gogh wrote, it is a good belief that our life is a pilgrim's progress, that we are strangers on the earth. Our life is a long walk or a journey. End quote. Well, Psalm 1 prepares our heart because it teaches us to rely on God and His Word. It teaches us that we need to depend on God to live our lives to the fullest and to bear the fruit of a godly life. I'll just draw your attention to a few details. One is the point of struck is a point of structure. You'll notice that Psalm one is an inclusio, marked by the word way. If you'll notice Psalm one one, blessed is the one who <clears throat> walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. Now drop down to verse six. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That forms an inclusio. And the psalm talks about two ways. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Psalm one only implies the way of the righteous. It's not stated. And just a note, when you learn this structure, you can also mark it in your Bible. So... There's a lot of overlap between these points: learning and marking and digesting. So you'll see that there's overlap. So sometimes they're going to say some things. You'll say, "Wait, that fits under this point." That's true because they they will. That's the way that this works. So that structure is there for you to see. And you can underline. So there you go. You mark right. You can underline the word way. You could draw a line from verse one to verse six, and that helps you to learn the psalm. It helps you to uh, to see how it all fits together. It's it's there for you to appreciate and to grow in your knowledge of. The psalms are are poetry. They're not poetry in the sense that we understand poetry. They are poetry uh, the way that the ancient people wrote it. They wrote in parallelisms, and they wrote like this with... Uh, inclusios uh, they wrote in other structures that we are familiar with that we've talked about before in our bible studies and in this church there's chiasms there's all kinds of things and we have to learn the structure of the song because that is how it means that is how it conveys its idea So, you'll see parallel ideas in here. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the ski of scoffers. That's what the blessed man is not like. Notice what the wicked man is not like. The wicked man is not like the, the righteous man, he's a wicked person. And so, what happens to the righteous? Well, the righteous delight in the law of the Lord. Well, and then the consequences are that he's like a tree planted by water. But the wicked are not like that. The wicked are like chaff, and it goes back. And so you see, there's these connections. And we learn to appreciate the poem. We learn to appreciate its structure, and it helps us to it helps us to delve into its meaning. And so it's important for us to. Pay close attention. Take notes. Write down things, even in a journal or in your Bible, if you've got space in your Bible. Write things down as you're reading because it will help you to understand how the psalm means. I also want to bring one point to your attention on vocabulary. I want you to notice the first word, blessed. We pl- we pronounce it blessed, but it's actually in English. It's just blessed, it's right? Blessed, I think. Um, many modern translations read, "How happy is the man?" No, know. Others read, "All oh, the joys of those." Huh. huh? Well, I don't. Neither of those reflect what the psalmist envisioned. Worse, they do not reflect what God intends for us to understand. Now, I hope that all of you are happy. Are you happy? Are you happy? Happy? Yes. <laughs> You're happy and you know it. Clap your hands, right? Anyway, some of us aren't happy. Some of us are not full of joy, of whatever, however we understand that. But that doesn't mean that we cannot be blessed. If you're not happy, I can say definitely that you are blessed. If you're in this congregation, you are blessed. Yes. Now, I don't know if God wants you to be happy or not. Amen. I mean, despite what Joel Osteen says, this, this <laughs> life is not your best life now. I mean, it's just not. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's right. But I can say with the uttermost confidence or the utmost confidence that you can have a blessed life Right now, despite any difficulties you may be facing, despite whatever pain you might be suffering, and how do I know that? Well, I know that because Psalm One reassures me of that. Mm-hmm. Psalm One says that I am blessed. Well, what does it mean to be blessed if it doesn't mean to be happy, like some versions put? Well, look at Job chapter five or seventeen. He describes blessed in this way. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, reproves. Wow. <laughs> Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. So you're blessed if God disciplines you. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Now do you are you happy when you get disciplined by God? No. Not no, usually. <laughs> but you can say you're blessed, yes. right? Loving. Yeah. What about Lord Jesus? What does He say on this uh, idea? He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, 4 to 13 He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know what poor in spirit means, but it doesn't sound like happy to me. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, I know those people aren't happy, for they shall be comforted. You know what mourning is? Right? I just lost my mother. You guys lost, Lisa lost her father. You lost your grandfather. You know, you know what it means to, to mourn. You know what? Wendy just lost her mom. There's a mourning involved in that. But in, while you're mourning, you have to understand that you're blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because you will be comforted. Who's going to comfort you? God. The God of all comfort is going to comfort you. And the people you're around in your church, they should give you comfort as well. But you're blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you know what it feels like to be hungry? Have you ever been hungry? I don't mean, have you ever missed a meal? I mean, have you ever been hungry? Have you ever been thirsty? Yes. And I don't mean, have you missed a glass of water? Have you ever had that kind of hunger that just gnaws away at you and that kind of thirst that you say, man, my, my mouth is so dry, my throat is so dry, I need some water? Um, if you ever go on a long hike, one time my sons and I went with some guys from church, and we climbed up to Baldy and uh, and Santa Fe. And uh, uh, my son didn't have enough water with him, and so we're coming down, and I see him sitting there, and I go, "What's wrong?" And he goes, "You know, I feel really bad. I feel really sick yeah. because he was out of he was out of water. He was." He was dehydrated, and thankfully some people came by. They saw how he was doing. And they said, "Here, here's some Gatorade. Give him this," and that's all he needed. Because we were all running out of water. We, we I didn't anticipate that it was six or seven miles up and six and seven six or seven miles back. I didn't I didn't realize it was that far. And so, yeah, he, that's thirsty. Well, do you hunger and thirst? In that sense, for God, for righteousness. Because if you do, God says you'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's hard to be merciful, it's not easy to be merciful. It hurts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes making peace is really hard to do. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the people in North Korea. Blessed are the people in China. Blessed are the people in this country who've been suffering because the government has done something to them because they're Christians. Blessed are them. Why are they blessed? Because <clears throat> theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No one can take that away from us. Amen. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account. Rejoice and be glad. Jesus, what is He saying there? I want you to be happy when that happens. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Folks, being blessed doesn't mean that you're happy necessarily. It may mean that you're suffering, but you're still blessed. Why? Because God is the one who blesses you. God is the one who gives you what you need to get through difficult, sometimes frightening and horrifying circumstances. God is the one who will give you what you need at that time. And that's what it means to be blessed. Now I want you to notice one important idea. In this. I want you to see that Psalm 11 presents a progression that's actually a digression. In other words, as the imagery progresses, it presents a progressively dire picture. Because you move from counsel to standing to sitting. Do you see that? You're you're moving from yes, counsel. I'm going to listen to what this person says. Yeah. To standing with them. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. To sitting, to sitting with them. Sitting implies the idea that you're you're fully um, agreeable to what's being said. You're sitting right in their group, yes. and you're acting just mm-hmm. like them. Mm-hmm. You Remember Medusa. You know who Medusa is yes, the hair. Yeah. Oh hmm. what? Medusa was, uh, was, a, was a female. She wasn't an immortal. Her sisters and her parents were, but she wasn't. She was just immortal. But she was very beautiful. And uh, she, she uh, I think it was, she seduced her beauty. She seduced Poseidon. And so Athena cursed her. And she turned, she turned her hair into snakes. Medusa. If she gazed at her, she gazed at people. They would turn into stones. And so, the idea, like in the movie Clash of the Titans, if you see the cover, the guy's holding a head with snakes in it. That's Medusa. And what he's doing is he's running into battle with Medusa, and she's turning all the other, all his enemies into stone. Right. Well, gazing at Medusa, listening to counsel standing in the way pretty soon you end up in sitting with them and guess what you have you have a heart of stone a heart of stone so those are some things that you look at how does it mean you know you look at how it means you got words you got structure and those kinds of things well, let's, let's mark. How do we mark? What do you mean mark? I want you to, if you have, take a pencil and mark some words. Just underline them. Okay? They're important words. For example, we see, but, in verse 2. But. Think, well, that's not, this is a small word, but. Yes, but it's describing a contrast, is it not? But. So, here is the, here is the blessed person. These are things the blessed person doesn't do. He doesn't do these kinds of things that leads to his ultimate destruction. But, you might want to shout that out, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the Torah of Yahweh. And on his Torah, he meditates day and night. Now, why do I use the word Torah? Because that's the word for law. But Torah isn't just the Ten Commandments. And Torah really isn't just the law of Moses. The book of Isaiah is described as Torah. So, it, it, it's expanding. Dr. Watke calls Torah um, like uh, a catechetical instruction, you know. In other words, we're listening to the instruction of the Lord. That's why parents are told in Ephesians chapter 5, parents, you know, bring your children up in the nurture and the instruction. Some versions read admonition. Version, uh, your, bring your children up in the nurture and the instruction or discipline of the Lord. Why do you do that? You do that so that they will learn how to, how to delight in that instruction. That's where Scripture memory comes in. That's where memorizing um, even one verse of the Bible, or we should even do that in our church, have a Scripture memory for the week or something. Why? Because when we do that, we are hiding the Word of God in our hearts and we're delighting in it. That's the only way we can delight in it. When you uh, delight in something, you, it's not. Um, there's a specific word here translated "delight." There are several words used for delight, uh, and some of them mean to you delight in something because you judge it to be good. But uh, this word for delight means um, that you understand that the object. Uh, has intrinsic qualities, and you're attracted to it because it's desirable. Is the Word of God desirable to you? Right? Is it desirable to you? Because that's what it means. Your desire. It's talking about your emotional connection to the Scriptures. That's why when I listen to the psalms at night, I find them... I find myself even because I doze off and when I wake up and I 'm hearing another psalm I'll find myself trying to keep up with uh, Alexander Scorby as he's reading and then kind of turning that into a prayer and what what's happening is as I delight I'm delighting in the Psalter because I hear it so much it's being um, it's, I'm being inundated with it and um I'm not telling you you should do that. That's not what I mean. I'm just using myself as an example. Um, Because the more that we take Scripture in, the more that we hide it in our heart, the more we see, you know, this is really great. The more we see how it really addresses issues in our life. You know, the Psalter, you've got to remember this, the Psalter is not you praying the Psalms. It's actually Christ praying the Psalms. The Psalter is about the King. It's the King who is writing these Psalms. And so the King is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, as he prays, we don't always identify with the things that are prayed here. For example, when he talks about you know, the bulls of Bashan surrounding him and him seeing all of his bones and all that, he's, he's praying that. And He's praying it, but He's praying it for us. Not that we have the same experience, but that we do have trials and struggles and heartaches and problems in life. We may suffer. And Christ is praying for us because He has been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. Are you tempted to throw away your faith? Are you? I am. Guess what? Jesus was too. We don't think of that, do we? We often think, "Oh, he's just really, you know, this great strong guy." He was never he was tempted at every point, just like you. So he understands how you feel when he when we're reading in the Psalms. We think, "Does the psalmist have any faith at all?" God, where are you? what why 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 are you sleeping? You're not helping me. We think, "Is that how we talk to God?" Yes. Christ is expressing an emotion that we have that we don't want to often admit. Because we're too proud to say as Christians that we struggle in our faith. Well, get over it. What can I say? Just get over it. You're not the only one who struggles in your faith and your pastor struggles in his faith and I'm not ashamed to say that because that is life. That is life. And the only way that I can counteract that is to hide the Word of God in my heart because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. Amen. Romans chapter 10. So you have but and you have delight. Now you have chaff. You notice that the, the wicked, they're not going to stand in the judgment. They're like, they're like chaff. Verse 4. The wicked are not so... They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now what is chaff? Well we all know what chaff is. We think about them treading the grain, right? They use you know, they use different kinds of implements to tread the grain and get the get the grain off of the straw and then they take fork and they throw it throw it up in the air and the wind would carry the chaff away. But that's only part of the story. The wind would divide the straw from the grain, but it would also divide the chaff from the straw, oh. so that the straw would fall maybe at one edge of the of the treading field, but the chaff would be blown away. Oh. See, because the straw you can use again, you can give it to you can give it to some of the cattle to eat. Uh, you could. Use, diff- use it for different things and so it's useful. But the chaff it's like dust It's gone away. It, it's, uh, it could be easily gathered and uh, burned the straw could be, but it's indicative of um, chaff is indicative of that which is blown away beyond recovery. The International Bible, uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says it's a strong figure to depict complete annihilation. Amen. That's the wicked. That's the wicked. And then the psalmist goes on that the wicked um, will not stand. Now we often think that that this means that the wicked will not prevail in judgment, and, and that's true. Um, but that's not the image. The image uh, uh, to stand, it's to stand from a prostate position. Uh, it also means to rise. The word is used in the Aramaic form in the New Testament. Remember the story of Jesus when Jairus comes to Him and says His daughter is sick, can you please come? And so Jesus says, sure, I'll come. He's a synagogue leader. And so He says, yeah, well, I'll go, I'll go. And on His way, you know, a lady... Lady touches his garment, and he goes, Somebody touched me, you know. And then, Wait a minute, what's going on? And so he deals with that lady, but then he continues, but then all of Jairus' friends come and say, It's too late, you know, she's she's gone. And Jesus tells Jairus, he says, Listen, just believe. Trust me. When he says, just believe, he's not saying, Work up the faith in your heart. He's saying, I want you to trust me. I'm gonna come and everything's gonna be fine. And so he goes there and he goes to the upper room after everybody laughs at him because he says she's not dead. Anyway, he goes into this upper room and he sits down and he takes the girl by her hand. Now listen to these words. Talitha kumi, or I should say Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Kumi is the word that's used in Psalm 1, when the wicked will not stand. Arise. Stand up. And so as I think about this, I think, well, a better image for me to kind of get this idea is, is Philippians 2, 9-11. through 11. You see, because there Paul tells us... That God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now get this. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth God's people will bow willingly and in reverence. God's enemies will be compelled to bow in fear and trembling and they will be defeated foes and they will not rise to stand in God's presence. They will not stand before Him because they will be judged and they will be condemned. That's why I think the last verse it tells us reminds us the Lord knows the way of of the righteous but the way of the wicked it will perish. Well, that leads us then to our third point, and that is digest. By digest, I mean to meditate on these. Uh, meditate on Psalm 1, day, day and night. Try it for a little while. Um, what does it mean to meditate? The scripture says meditate on his law day and night. What does that mean to meditate? Well, it's uh, used, it's characteristic of the moaning of a dog. It's characteristic of the growling of a lion over its prey. In other words, they're munching on it. In some contexts, it's used for mourning, such as the moaning over uh, judgment um, or of the whispering of the enemy after the collapse of Jerusalem. It's muttering. It's the idea of Have you ever memorized something? How do you memorize? I memorize by reading the verse, right? And then I repeat it out loud. So that's how I digest um, the Scripture, by, by meditating on it. But meditating means more than that. It also means something like thinking about how it works out. So when you digest this, you need to think about... Well, how does this work out in life? What, what what do I see going on around me? Well, just I want you to think about something. And this is really crucial for the church today. Instead of digesting the Word of God and seeing that the Word of God is relevant for all of life, Large sectors of the church are beginning to see or say that they need to make the scriptures relevant. And so their ministry becomes a ministry of relevance. Because we live in this uh, therapeutic age where everybody's talks about everybody's feelings. And so what we feelings are important. I don't want to diminish them. I just want to take you back to the Word of God to help you understand and, and stand them and to work through them. But the church has come to the point where they, they don't believe that the Gospel is really relevant to life. The Gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. They don't believe that that has any relevance. What has happened? We're losing, our, we're losing our touch with the reality of Scripture because we're listening to the world. As I meditate on this psalm, and I, I think about, well, wait a minute, why, am I listening to that? Do I believe that the Gospel is relevant? Do I believe that the Gospel is important? You know how many people I've read that say that Muslims worship the same God as Christians? And these are men who teach in theological seminaries. But I have to say, wait a minute, Muslims don't worship the same God as Christians. They're as far as the East is from the West. How can people say that? Well, that's, they're saying that. Well, what's happening to our theological schools? What's happening to people who teach the Scripture that they're going away while well, they're, they're listening to the counsel of the wicked? Amen. They're standing in their way and they're moving towards the place of sitting with scoffers. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If the Gospel isn't relevant, then I have to tell all of you this. If the Gospel's not relevant, then nothing is. Amen. And life can just be lived any way you want. It doesn't matter what you do, it's right or wrong. It does, there is no right or wrong, there is no good or evil, there is no male or there's nothing. There are no distinctions whatsoever. It's, it's only if the gospel is true that all of that makes sense. It's only if we absorb a Christian worldview, a a blessed man's approach of walking in the counsel of God, of meditating on His Word day and night. It's only when we do that that we can say that there is right and wrong. That there is right and wrong. That the Gospel is relevant. That people are going to die and go to hell because they refuse to believe in Christ. Amen. And so, that's one of the ways I see this applying as I, as I try to digest this. That's a negative, I admit, um, but it, it emphasizes the last part of the psalm. and I, And I fear what's going to happen in the church today as they focus on being relevant. I passed a billboard one day on the highway <laughs> that said, you know, come to this church because our services are relevant. Well, maybe they're relevant, but they may not be true. So, just to repeat, as you read the psalm, learn its structure, um, meditate upon it, and digest it. Do that not with just this psalm, but with the whole of Scripture. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do give you thanks for your love and your goodness to us. We pray, our God, that you would uh, give us wisdom and insight. Many people are falling away from the faith today. I, I read more and more that that's happening. And, and it, hurt, it bothers me. I see, I see a lot of young people walking away from the faith. And I wonder, what, what did we do wrong? What did I do wrong? What is happening? Father, keep uh, us in Your Word. Keep us in prayer before You. And help us to take the relevant Gospel to this world and show them that it is the only thing that is relevant. We pray You would use us to the praise of Your glory. In Christ's name, Amen.